The following program is a podcast1.com production. I'm so glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. On the web, Clark.com, when you want deals, ClarkDeals.com. Coming up in 20 minutes. You know the deal with people getting into Uber cars that aren't Uber cars, or Lyft for that matter? I have a special Clark Rageous moment warning for you coming up in just 20 minutes. And a half hour from now, you ever heard people call into our show who are just full of angst because there are mug shots of them showing up when somebody searches their name? I'm going to tell you what you need to know about protecting your reputation in just a half hour. Right now I want to talk about something that is so much an issue in so many families. Family member gets sick or you have a baby or whatever. Companies are all over the map about what they do for you in the event that you can't be at work because of a family event or a family emergency or let's say somebody in your family is dying or has died. And this is an area where in polling across the political spectrum, people are very heavily in favor of having a government requirement for people to have paid time off from work for family emergencies. I don't think that's going to be something that will come out of Washington. And as someone who believes so much that companies should do things that show enlightened self-interest, I believe that the marketplace has a big role to play in this. And more and more companies are, in fact, rolling out programs that are from uh, showing decency to being phenomenally generous. And especially with millennials, let me tell you something as an employer. Millennials don't talk work-life balance. They live work-life balance. And if you want to attract and, more important, keep millennials, which is the largest population group in the United States, you've got to know that the paycheck for them isn't enough. It's all about the environment you create and what you do to support those workers. So now Starbucks is giving a month and a half off to moms of newborns, paid. And Netflix giving a year to the mom of a newborn, paid. And Facebook has come up with a whole package of things they're doing. Four paid weeks in the event a family member dies. Six paid weeks if you're taking care of a sick relative. And these kind of things for an employer are unbelievably expensive. I know that for me, having been a small business owner, entrepreneur, for pretty much my whole adult life, that if an employee is not working and I'm paying them to not work and I have to hire somebody else 
to fill in for them. That's a huge burden on me as a business. But here's where the enlightened self-interest comes with offering very generous benefits to your employee. The loyalty you create by being there for someone when the chips are down is so valuable. And there are always going to be people that you do generous things for that will reward you for your kindness by spitting on you and saying, hey, bye, I'm leaving. I'm done with you. I got a better opportunity somewhere else. That's going to happen. But more often than not, it's the opposite reaction. Somebody's going to be really grateful to you. And it also signals to people who never take those benefits into hand that never actually take sick leave to take care of somebody or don't have a newborn and aren't taking paid time off. What it says to them, though, about where they work, the culture of where they work, and how that employer values the people who work there is an intangible that is priceless. So just understand, as your workforce changes and you have more and more people in their 20s and 30s working for you, they're going to expect a whole different culture from you. The cost, if you don't adopt one, big-time turnover, and you know how expensive that is. Robert is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Robert. Hi, Clark. Um, I've been, um, I guess, inspired by you. Uh, I would like to help people, maybe one-on-one, not on the radio, um, with their financial problems, help them get on track and, you know, plan for the future. And I know there are a couple of different career tracks for that, but I'm not really sure how to get started. Wow. So you're motivated by people you've seen in your life who just are train wrecks with money or? Well, some of them are train wrecks. Some of them are just making small errors. And I've, over the years, become, I guess, very motivated to help them get on track. And I do have, I'm the person my friends come to um, for help for these sorts of things. And I figure, well, maybe I could do it for a living. I love that. And today the answer is so multi-layered on that. But I have a suggestion about how you spread the word and back into a business. And that is today you do it with blogging and social media. Awesome. Because because in the past, it would have been about you starting some kind of traditional business or becoming uh, uh, get it, getting training and how to do financial planning or doing credit counseling or something along those lines. But today, if, if you're like the firefighter, people come to and say, my financial house is on fire, what do I do? And you, you help them put the fire out and put them on a better path. I think you spread your wisdom, and maybe you offer, as you become better known and you give people sage advice, you make yourself available for counseling sessions, either electronic or in person, and that that's how you end up turning what is a a thing you love doing for others into something that would put money in your pocket, too. That is perfect. I didn't even consider that, but this is like exactly what I need to do. Build an audience first. That's a great idea. Exactly. And and you build the cred. Think about 
there was some okay it was I think it was Walgreens I was in with my daughter we went there for her to get a sports physical and while I was waiting for her I noticed there was an aisle that half the aisle was the these various products that were in an as seen on TV section and somehow because these products had been in uh, TV commercials or TV infomercials that somehow they would be better for you to buy. And they had these these things on there they had seen on TV things. And if you think about what I'm saying, you establish yourself in the modern way people would do it, which is blogging and social media, and maybe even have a micro website, and that's your equivalent as uh, being as seen on TV. Perfect. Thank you so much, Clark, and thank you for what you do. Well, good luck to you, Robert. I hope that that is a valid suggestion and a good path for you to spread good word for people to be better with how they handle money. Matt's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Matt. Hello, how are you? Great, thank you, Matt. Yes, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have a question with regards to a car that I currently own. It's a a 2005 um, model and I have just under 96,000 miles on it. And I've just invested just over $300 in new tires. And I'm wondering um, what your advice would be with regards to shopping for a new car. Should I continue to, to put money into this car? Um, I, I have two young children, so I'm worried about their safety, of course, on the road. Well, the reality is the improvements in the safety features baked into cars is intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, cars are... Uh, so much safer your 05 car does it have for example electronic stability control no it doesn't that is the number one most important safety feature that cars have had you know people talk about airbag this airbag that airbag the other yeah the truth is is that the electronic stability control is a much bigger and better safety enhancement than all the airbags. Do you know why all the airbags went in originally? No, I don't. Because they were to mitigate the injury and death rate from people who didn't wear seatbelts. I see. And now we have airbags that go beyond that, that even if you're seatbelted, the side curtain and things like that. But the safety baked in, the, the backup cameras that are in most cars and soon will be in all cars, mm. and cars that do the adaptive cruise control those that sense traffic in front of you is slowing or stopping and automatically break for you the lane departure warning things the enhanced safety available to you and your children it, it's like in the last 10 years more happened on that front than in the prior 30 okay so i i can with young kids i completely can identify and you- may i ask you one follow-up question sure um, w- when we do um, decide uh, we're going to shop for something new, we want to take your, your long-standing advice and go with a third-party financing company. We've already decided to do that. And um, I'm wondering if I should have a car picked out before I go ahead and, and choose my, my loan amount, or should I pick um, the highest number I could possibly know I can afford and then apply? Well, you can do it differently. You can go to third-party credit union, online lender, community bank, uh, don't go to the big banks. Their no, lo- auto loans no. are ripoffs. Yeah. But they will tell you, you based on your income, your debt ratios, 
This is the maximum we authorize. And you know that's the most you should ever borrow for a car. And then you step back from that because the maximum they'll lend you is a number based on everything in your life staying perfect. Lives don't stay perfect. So they'll tell you what the ceiling is. Okay. And then you'll be authorized for an amount. I'm with USAA Insurance. Yep. And they, from time to time, will send me a draft for an auto loan. They'll say, you're you're approved for this much money, and our auto loan rate that we're offering you right now is one point whatever percent or two point whatever. And then I have the ability right then and there to go in and present the draft mm. for an amount not to exceed what they've authorized me for. Got it. So okay. as long as you know those numbers and you're comfortable with what the monthly payment would be, then you're good to go. But don't ever tell a car dealer when you're negotiating that you are using third-party financing. Okay. And always give the car dealer a chance to match whatever offer it is you prearranged. I see. So when, 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 during the negotiations, when would I tell them I have third-party financing? Well, after you have negotiated the price. Okay. And if you do your negotiating away from the dealership by emails back and forth, then that's the safest environment for you to negotiate a price, not okay. in the dealer itself. Okay. And have you heard me talk about using TrueCar? Yes, I have, yeah. So that'll give you a real good target on it. And are you a Consumer Reports subscriber? Uh, No, but I I have gone on their website and gotten um, free articles, and I've gone on kellybluebook.com and gotten articles from there as well. Well, you know, you live near the Consumer Reports test track. You should go sneak in there and be a spy in Connecticut. (laughs) I I know that it's not far from me. I'll have to figure out how to get up there. It is so fun. I, I did that in my TV work where I was on the test track, and they are so thorough at Consumer Reports. You can really trust the recommendations and ratings that they give, even if you pay for uh, temporary access or one-time access to get the information for your car buying. Today's Clark Rageous Moment concerns something that I witnessed just two weeks ago and is something that is apparently very common around the United States. Be aware of this because you could actually find yourself as a result in harm's way. It's a Clark Regis moment. I witnessed somebody at a street corner in Houston start to get in a car that they thought was a Lyft or Uber car that they had called for, and it was a private owner's automobile, and the person behind the wheel kind of freaked out, like, who is this getting in my car? And a quick exchange of words, the person got out embarrassed and then waited for their uh, their ride. And according to the Wall Street Journal, this is happening from sea to shining sea, is that people are jumping into people's cars thinking they're their Lyft or Uber car, and the driver just com- completely getting upset. And I want you to know that when you book a car with Uber or Lyft on the app, it tells you the license plate or tag number of the vehicle being driven by your driver. Check that out. Because I don't know if you remember this, I talked 
about six months ago about these terrible crimes that are occurring around the country where somebody pretends to be an Uber or Lyft driver. You can kind of spot people standing at corners that are waiting for one of these services. And they go up and they pretend they're the driver. Then the people get robbed or worse, they get into the car. So now I've got your attention, right? So please take the time to verify the make, model, and license plate. If you're not good with cars, all you got to do is look at the tag or plate. And if it doesn't match what's on your app, on your phone, you know that's not your ride, that's not your driver. Keep yourself safe. Okay, here are some really surprising car facts for you. In Churchill, Canada, residents leave their cars unlocked. That's in case someone needs to escape a polar bear. It's true. And in Sweden, drivers are required by law to keep their headlights on at all times. Day, night, rain, sunshine, doesn't matter. And now, here's another interesting and actually helpful thing about cars that you might not know. True Car also helps people get used cars. That's right. TrueCar isn't just for new cars. Their certified dealer network also has an inventory of over 700,000 pre-owned cars nationwide. So whether you're looking for a new or used car, you can get real pricing on actual inventory and a better buying experience through the TrueCar certified dealer network. Oh yeah, here's another fun fact. TrueCar customers can see if they're getting a good or great price before they buy. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with their TrueCar certified dealers. So when you're ready to buy that car, new or used, visit TrueCar and enjoy a better car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't ever let anyone rip you off. Clark.com is our web address. When you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. Facebook, you want to follow me? Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. I think about the heartbreaking calls we've had from people who are applying for a job or they're dating a new person and the job offer vanishes into thin air. The person who looked really promising they were dating without real explanation doesn't want to go out with them anymore or dumps them. And do you know that often it's because somebody is doing a Google search on you? And with Google, all kinds of stuff can come up, true and untrue, also could be things that are accurate but from long ago. And you may be a very different person today, but because of the way the Internet stores things and retrieves them, you could find yourself looking not so good for something that happened like a zillion years ago. And one thing in particular has really tugged at me over the years, and it's when someone will call me and tell me that they are being held ransom by what are known as mugshot websites. There are unsavory, sleazy lowlifes who 
search public records in jurisdictions around the United States where this is allowed, and they get mugshots of anybody. Somebody could end up with a mugshot for any of a number of reasons. Could be that they committed a um, very minor misdemeanor long ago. Could be they committed a very serious crime. Or could be that they were arrested for something that wasn't them. Could be mistaken identity. Whatever it could be. And there you are forever with a mugshot. And these sleazoids post these mugshots and their hope is that they'll appear very early in a Google search of yourself. And then there you are stuck between a rock and a hard place. Because even if you pay these awful, awful people to suppress the image of you, before you know it, somebody else pops one up. But I saw an item from the guy, the haggler, who I love his snarky writing style. But the haggler wrote a piece about how Google keeps trying to uh, change their algorithm so that these mugshot extortionists will not show up in Google results. And they've just done a revision and for people who have these old, old mugshots popping up and people wanting ransom from you to remove them, odds are now, if they show up at all, it'll be many pages in on a Google search about you where usually people don't go past the front screen. But forgetting even the mugshot thing, I want you to take the time, if you're looking for a job or whatever it is, to check out that you're not showing some awful stuff on a Google search. And a lot of us don't have big profiles on Google. Others do have a fair amount of stuff about them on Google. And I want you to please know what's there. Absolutely, especially if you're looking for a job You want to know what's there to protect your reputation. Mary's with us. Mary, you have a question for me about credit freeze and something you're being told by one of the major credit bureaus. Is that right? Yes, it is, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. I'm glad you're Um, here. I got a letter from my insurance company saying that um, there would be more information coming. They're not saying that my account itself was hacked, but I was concerned, so... I started checking on credit freeze thing through your uh, website, and one of the websites I went to, when I was reading on the information specific to my state, said security freeze may delay, interfere with, or prohibit the timely approval of, and then there's a whole list of things, and one of the things they listed was internet credit card transaction. And so I wonder, does that mean, um, like, if you want to Okay, first, I got to see that language because they're lying. You're telling me that one of the three major credit bureaus is putting out a big fat lie? Well, wow. Okay, so uh, I should point out the credit bureaus hate, 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 hate credit freeze. 
I'm so surprised they haven't hired somebody to take me out yet. You know, run me over in a, with a Mack truck or something. Because mm-hmm. Credit Freeze eats up their potential revenue. Because the way the Credit Bureau model works is they build a dossier on you, package you, slice you, dice you, and sell your information without your knowledge or permission again and again and again. So when you put Credit Freeze in place, they can no longer package and sell you. So that's why they put all that dire language up. You're able to use all your existing credit exactly as you are. It doesn't affect how any transaction goes through for credit you already have. The only thing Credit Freeze does is exactly what you're trying to prevent, which is an absolute stranger assuming your identity and applying for credit as if they're you. And for you, when you do need to apply for credit, you've got to go temporarily thaw your credit file which takes no time at all, and then you go about your business. So they just want to fear-monger because Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian want their money. But I think we should go to a system where everyone's credit is essentially frozen until you need it because nobody's come up with an effective way to stop all the identity theft and the problems associated with it. But you are a smart lady to freeze your credit. Don't let them scare you. And we're speaking now with Don. Don, welcome to the Clark Howard Show. How are you? Hello, Clark. Good to talk to you. Well, great to have you here. I have a couple of uh, traffic citations from a uh, European country from several years ago that uh, I uh, that I have not paid, and I have one moving violation that I have not paid, and I'm going back to the same country in the same area, and I wonder if you have any knowledge of what's going to happen to me at this point. Okay, so I have had my own close encounters with European authorities and country after country because they have so many automated ticketing systems. It's a big revenue generator for european cities and countries and (laughs) so they issue you speeding tickets they issue you um, violations that you're supposed to know that a particular road is only available to people who have a license plate with certain letters on it and otherwise you're not allowed there and um, that's exactly what my moving citation was going down a street that only certain people are allowed on (laughs) <laughs> and I was oh, that, is that an Italian one or an Austrian yes, one? Italian. Italian, yeah. So have you been contacted by a collection agency for the Italian one yet? That just happened. Okay. And if I, if I can guess based on prior calls we've had, they're seeking around $400 from you? Yes. Okay. So wash, rinse, and repeat. We've had this call many times. So there's two different things. One, the collection agency uh, does not report you to the credit bureaus here, although we've checked, and collection agencies potentially could report you to a collection agency for a foreign moving violation unpaid ticket. Um, you, You do not have to necessarily pay that. If you go back to Italy, are you wondering, will they not rent you a car, or would they put you in jail, or anything like that? I've already checked with the rental car company, and they say there's no 
connection between them and that. In other words, they don't have a watch list for me. Yeah, that's so they, that. They would rent me a car. Right. I was asking you that question rhetorically, so I could tell you that's not going to happen. You can rent a car and do what you want. Okay. So uh, the thing is, is that the Italians look at all the speeding cameras and the no-go zones and all that strictly as revenue things. So you can do with it what you wish and how you wish. Very good. Well, that, that answers my question, and I really, I really appreciate your help. And I'll tell you, when you go into any Italian central city, assume that you as a foreigner in a rental car are not allowed to drive there. And if you make that assumption, you'll avoid those tickets. I think that's good advice. Okay. Have a great time when you go back. Joe joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Joe. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. You have a question about buying a home. Is that right? That's right. My wife and I are expecting our first child and our... Congratulations. uh, Thank you so much. Um, And my mother and her mother have both volunteered to come and stay with us. Uh, And I love them both, uh, but I don't necessarily want both of them in our house the whole time. And so I was thinking about... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Love them both. Yeah. Uh, are, are there any special qualifications for buying a second home? We, my wife and I bought our first home through an FHA mortgage in 2010, and I didn't know if there would be some special qualifications for buying a second home as opposed to renting uh, for, the grandpa- for the grandparents. So I would say that's not a situation you should even consider buying a home. No? Okay. Yeah, because you're talking about them being present with the excitement of having a new grandbaby and hanging out for a while, and that would much more lend itself to you renting a place. Because buying a home, the the economics of buying a home and selling one are such that you really need to look at owning something as a minimum five-year window. I got you. Because you figure uh, roughly 10%, and I'm doing round numbers, 10% acquisition costs coming in, 10% going out. It's hard to overcome that. Well, what I was thinking was um, they would be here for about that time because daycare runs for newborns and young kids about 900 bucks a month uh, in my area of Tallahassee. And so what I was thinking is after the grandparents were to move out or to leave, that would be maybe possible a future income property. Well, see, that's a different scenario. If you are thinking in a college town, you're thinking of owning a property that you can use as a rental to rent to students, graduate students, professors, staff, sure. whatever – uh, when you're done with it for the initial need, if you're thinking that way, and it would be a long-term acquisition, correct? Uh, you got to be careful what price point property you would get to make the economics work. Okay, so because, it's going to really come down to that then. Yeah, because if you're buying a place that your in-laws and then your own mom would be happy living in, it may be a higher caliber property than what you're thinking you would want as a rental property. I see what you're saying. Okay. Because um, you don't want to put your uh, your the kid's grandparents in a home that's surrounded <laughs> by a bunch of partying college students. No, I don't think they would appreciate that very much. Yeah, so they're, they're such different goals that they if are. you can figure out how to meet both goals with the idea of owning a place for a long time as a rental property, fine. 
but if it if that's going to be too difficult, then just bag that idea and run a place. I got you. Okay. So decide what our real goal is and then go from there. Exactly. And Wonderful. Con- I really appreciate it. And congratulations to you on the upcoming birth of your child. I love something that uh, Marriott does every Thanksgiving through Christmas. When relatives are coming to town, they do these pitches about it's really great having your relatives in town, especially staying in one of our hotels instead of your spare bedroom. There's a lot of truth in that. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, John. Well, hi, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly. I was told that I need to ask where you are right now. I don't know why. I'm in the line at In-N-Out Burger in uh, Cedar Park, Texas. You mean person getting me excited about a double-double when I can't have one? Well, believe it or not, uh, we're sharing a cheeseburger. We asked them to cut it in half. Can you believe that? They'll do anything to make the customer happy at (laughs) In-N-Out. They're great. Great burgers, too. Yes, they are. How can I serve you now that you've made me hungry? Well, um, I have a question since I just retired after 45 years of pastoral ministry, serving as a uh, church pastor. um, I'm interested in the best program, computer program, for just keeping track of expenses and uh, money. And so I I, uh, had emailed whether Quicken is the best or... I'm open to it's very over. good if you're doing com- desktop-based or laptop-based expenses, budgeting, things like that. Quicken is great. Um, but there's one I love called Mint, M-I-N-T, that's free. Okay. And I think Mint does an outstanding job of allowing you to budget and track expenses and not have to pay for it. Now, and in addition, do you that ca- again since mint. Thought, I'm driving. Oh, <laughs> mint like <laughs> a like a in Texas. Yeah, like in car, so she can write it down. Did you say M I N T? That's right. Like the U.S. Mint. That's right. Okay. And something else as well is if you use a smartphone, there are apps that you can use that are free that will make it. So you can track expenses as you're out and about. Oh, really? Yeah, and one is called, do you use an Android or an iPhone? An iPhone. So for iPhone, there's one called Expensify that is available for both and is free. There are others for iPhone that you have to pay for, but Expensify is one that people seem to really like for iPhone. And again, it is available on Android as well, but the one... Uh, a lot of Android people love is Expenser, one-touch Expenser that is available for Androids. So you can track on the go, or if you use Mint, you can uh, you can track everything at home. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports this podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust, someone who's got your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in just minutes. 
You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank. Skip the waiting. Go completely online at quickenloans.com slash save. That's quickenloans.com slash S-A-V-E. Let Rocket Mortgage help you get the exact mortgage solution that you need. Go to quickenloans.com slash save. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. You want deals? ClarkDeals.com. And when you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. I have news for you about a breakthrough, if you will, in how we produce food in the United States and ultimately around the world that's going to make farming much more environmentally friendly and cheaper to produce and for you and me to buy. It is one of those things that, like, where's the downside? Wait till you hear a half hour from now. I want to talk about something that's a downside. That's you getting on the latest investing mania. You know, one of the hot things right now being pitched to people, especially small business owners, is how there's going to be trillions and trillions of dollars made, not billions, trillions made on AI. Artificial intelligence is going to affect every phase of your and my life from when we get up in the morning to when we go to bed at night, and even maybe when we're asleep, that AI will be part of our lives. And you want to have an opportunity to get your share of the massive amount of wealth coming from AI. Okay. So, machine learning, robotics, artificial intelligence, all these things are going to be a continuing part of our future. Elon Musk, the genius, sometimes crazed genius, was talking recently about how you and I are going to have to meld ourselves into machines as if we're all as one. I should give his exact quote because it's kind of crazy. I mean, he is an unbelievable genius. Over time, I think we'll probably see a closer merger of biological intelligence and digital intelligence, end quote. It's mostly a new quote. It's mostly about the bandwidth, the speed of the connection between your brain and the digital version of yourself, particularly output, end quote. So, obviously, it's like big. It's really big. And, yes, a lot of things are going to be better and easier because of the continuous improvement involved with artificial intelligence. But does that mean you're going to make money investing in AI, the hot, hot, hot pitch of the moment? Well, I think back to something you may be too young to have frame of reference on. But back in the 1990s, 
there was an all-out frenzy about investing in dot-coms. New startup companies that were supposedly going to go all the way to the stratosphere. And what actually happened is after people invested trillions of dollars in those, almost all of them collapsed in a heap of hope, broken promises, and failure. Very few of those enterprises even survived the year 2000 dot-com bust, the dot-bomb as it was referred to. And so I want you to know that obviously the internet has become central to our lives. There are enterprises that have ended up making their stockholders fabulously wealthy, making their founders just wealthy with so many zeros following the first digit that it's like mind-blowing. But it's an area of ultra-high risk and just a few people that break through. So please, when somebody calls you or sends you an email with a pitch about how you can dare to be rich in the latest investing craze or frenzy, whatever it is, know that there's always high risk with a low potential for high reward when you invest in a new technology. Yes, there are people that will hit it big, but most people, the money goes to dust. Keith is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Keith. How are you? Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Great, thanks. Keith, you have a question dear to my heart to ask me. Yeah, I do. Um, I want to first say that I enjoy your show. I'm always telling my dad and friends about little articles on your website. And just uh, I feel like I was telling your producer, Kim, that I listen to you guys on the weekend, the podcast, and you feel like part of my family. <laughs> so That's really um, cool, Keith. Thank you. Yeah, my question is about student loan debt and retirement and emergency savings. And um, I'm a federal employee, and I'm looking to do the pay-as-you-earn. And so my question is, currently, I'm maxing out my thrift savings plan. I'm in a, the life cycle fund, the 2040 fund. And then I'm doing one of the low-cost IRAs that you talk about, and I'm splitting that between the traditional and the Roth. And part of the, my reasoning behind that is is that with the income-based repayment and pay-as-you-earn, it's based on your adjusted gross income. So by putting as much as I can into retirement, is that adjusted gross income amount? And so what I was thinking is once I do my 10 years of payments on the student loans, and then I could start doing the Roth TSP. And I just wanted to get your thoughts about that, because I'm using the the IRA, the part that I am putting in the Roth, kind of as an emergency fund as well. And so I just All right. Well, I must, tell you, right I must tell you, you're scary smart, because your strategy is exactly right. Okay. <laughs> That's good to hear. That is, that is exactly what you would want to do. And so okay. that definitely makes sense. So you put in Roth IRA money as a way of building up an, a rainy day fund where you can pull the money out at any time, your contributions tax and penalty free, where you could not do that if you did a traditional IRA, 
but go all in on your TSP and traditional pre-tax dollar TSP. I have this right? Or post-tax? Well, I'm, putting, I'm putting in right now everything. In, I'm maxing out the traditional uh, TSP. Yeah, so that you reduce, my, you reduce yeah. your effective income. That is exactly what you should do. And when you do reach loan forgiveness after 10 years, then you would want to pivot and do all your TSP contributions going forward in the Roth TSP. And then you'd have a a Roth pile of retirement money and a taxable pile of retirement money. I couldn't design a strategy better than what you've done. I appreciate it. One quick question, Clark. I read that the uh, forgiveness um, is going to be $22 billion. It's been in the press, and I'm curious, do you think there's going to be political pressure in, in the next few years that, that Congress might try to get rid of the you know these loan forgiveness programs? Yes, but uh, typically when a program is phased out, people who are already in the system are grandfathered in and there will come a time where the unfunded mandate of the loan forgiveness that we now have with student loans will get to be too big a budget item for the federal budget but i'm not worried about it being retroactively eliminated for people who are already in a pay-as-you-earn thing or an ibr thing so thank you very much and uh, best to you for saving so much money. You are making quite a difference in your financial future. Eric is with us. Eric, you have a question about your financial future. What's that? Hi, Clark. I oftentimes hear you talking about Social Security and it's better to wait till 70 rather than take it at 62. And I'm when I hear that, I'm kind of troubled that it only takes in the financial aspect of the decision. When I was 62, I was working part-time having lost a, or left a job of 40 years at another company. And um, the day I reached 62 and could take my Social Security, I said to myself, I've sold the last day of the one and only life that I'm ever going to have for a paycheck. And even in working part-time, I found that having to beg people to give me a week off so that I could go here or go there just got the the most of me. And um, so between our Social Security and a small pension, and we have been substantial savers throughout my life, I just found from a quality of life standpoint the value of a day of my life was much greater to me than the value of um, a future increased social You know what you time. said, Eric, that's key. You had been a good saver through your working lifetime. So you have the ability to supplement income. The advantage today with today's very low interest rates is the imputed increase in the lifetime uh, value of Social Security payments is so much greater than what you can earn on your own that forgetting the lifestyle issue and talking instead about dollars and cents, that if somebody would be really pinched later in retirement when they're uh, too old or infirm maybe to work like you are part-time, for them, 
from a strictly financial standpoint, that's why it pays to wait. And when interest rates rise again on what people can earn in savings, the advice I give on that will probably change anyway. Annie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Annie. How are you today? Good. How are you? Great. Thank you, Annie. How can I serve you? Well, I have a question about moving companies. In April, I'm moving from Washington, D.C. back to my home state of Washington, and I've been looking into... Could you come up with a more expensive move in the country? You really (laughs) worked at that one. (laughs) Uh, Apparently not. Um, I've been getting estimates, and they're all over the place, and I'm really not sure what what direction to go in, like the pod moving, the actually having movers come and move me, and I don't have much to move. Um, I All right, have, well, that um, presents... Uh, how did you know that was the next question I was going to ask you? Because for a yeah. whole house move, I would want you to get your quotes through the website moving.org. Moving.org, okay. And on there, you'll see a button you can click for what's known as a pro mover. Pro movers are uh, the larger moving companies that have agreed to live by an industry code of ethics, and they have a dispute process that if you have any dispute with them, you'll have a procedure where you'll be able to dispute. And for a big move, I love for you to use the pro mover service be very wary and aware of anybody who's some kind of moving broker we hear terrible abuses from people who have gone through moving brokers often you're not even aware that who's giving you a quote is a broker let me tell you a couple other things with a move from uh state to state in this case we're calling dc estate you need to know a key phrase A quote doesn't mean anything on a state-to-state move unless it has the word binding in it. If somebody's giving you an estimate, that means nothing. They can tell you, oh, based on what you have, we're going to charge you $2,500. And then they get you to Washington State and they say that's going to be $40,000. If it's not a binding estimate under the federal rules, the estimate you've received means not a word. Good to know. All right, um, next yeah. thing, next thing, and then I'm going to go to a whole different process I want you to look at, okay? Next thing is that if you use a traditional mover, you need to buy insurance from them to protect your goods. The federal law does not protect you if your items end up lost, stolen, damaged, missing, whatever. And so from the mover, you need to buy insurance that will cover you on the move. Or from if you, if you own a home, from your homeowner's insurer, you need to see if they'll sell you a moving insurance policy. And you want to buy what's known as replacement value, meaning that you don't get an argument about how old the TV was or how beat up the sofa was. If they lose it, damage it, whatever, they have to replace it with a new item with no money coming out of your pocket. Got it. All right, so... Well, I have USAA. I would assume that they probably have uh, moving insurance under my homeowner's policy. I would ask. Okay. I wouldn't assume that automatically. And thank you for your service to our country, since you're USAA. 
Oh, it was my dad. Okay. Well, well, that's great that he served. So the other possibility, there's a thing on the web you can use if you have a smaller move that's more like eBay for moving called U-Ship, the letter U-Ship.com, S-H-I-P.com. And you can go on U-Ship. People have ratings that they've been given. If you see a lot of ratings on someone, like dozens or hundreds, you can more likely trust the ratings that you see there. And it's a reverse auction, where on eBay, an auction item goes up and up in price. Over the time period of the auction you put out there, the cost of your move goes down and down over, let's say, a five-day, seven-day period, something like that, as different movers bid on your business. So use the wisdom of the crowd to make sure you're not moving with a fly-by-night. And then you get the better pricing by letting them all compete against each other. But you've got to be really realistic about how much stuff you have so that nobody thinks that you're telling them one thing and they get there and there's two or three times more more stuff than you had estimated. There's an area you got to be careful. I have more information for you on how to do a move safely at ClarkHoward.com. Hey, it's Jordan Harbinger. For the last 10 years, I've successfully helped people build their self-confidence with my Art of Charm podcast. And now, along with Art of Charm, I'm hosting a new show. It's Podcast One's latest program, The Forbes List. On the show, we talk to the Forbes editors that curate their famous and respected lists, like self-made richest people, billionaires, and highest-paid athletes. We'll get behind-the-scenes insight and information that doesn't make the print cut. It launches this week, on February 16th. So please subscribe on iTunes to the Forbes list, and don't forget to rate us, review, and share. Stay tuned for 60 seconds of AP News headlines right after this podcast. I'm so glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment through knowledge so that you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. When you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. And I ask you this, are you familiar from studying history in school how back in the 1800s, there were all these dire predictions that we would have mass starvation on Earth, that there was no way with the population growth we were having on Earth in the second half of the 1800s, that there was any way we could put food in everybody's mouth. And the whole idea of famine and mass starvation and all that has been a part of very learned people who have come at it from not an emotional standpoint, but based on their beliefs that we were going to run out of this, that, or the other. And didn't turn out that way, right? We as humans have figured out how to supply more food to more people across planet Earth than anybody ever could have imagined that we could. And now the biggest problem on Earth in terms of food is not malnutrition and starvation, although there are pockets of the world generally based on civil war or warfare conflict where people are hungry. But as a general rule, the biggest problem now around the globe 
is obesity, not starvation. We figured out how to produce far, far more food than we ever could have imagined. But how about this? Something that first really was something I I was into last decade. And it's the idea of producing crops in warehouses instead of in fields. The Wall Street Journal wrote an extensive story about a warehouse in the San Francisco Bay Area that is able to produce 3 million pounds of greens each year. Lettuce, that kind of thing. And the key to making all this work are modern developments like LED lights. And these facilities are able to have, with the sensors available today that you can have, they're able to measure second by second the temperature and moisture and provide the exact amount of water that plants need when they grow. And there doesn't have to be any natural light at all. It doesn't fit your image of a farm. Forget family farm, even a big commercial farm. But they're able to produce massive amounts of food and do so with one one-hundredth of the normal amount of water it takes to grow lettuce and vegetables and things like that, they're able to produce 150 times the food per square foot that you are able to in a traditional field. The amazing thing is this gets refined, improved, and developed is that food will now be, that is grown for you and me, will now be much closer to where it'll be consumed than where it is now, increasing the freshness cycle, eliminating a huge amount of the transportation costs, and allowing people to do things. You think about the movie The Martian. Did you ever see that? And you think about what he did, growing the potatoes in his own thingy, rudimentary design, but you see what I mean about what we're able to do that sometimes change is so hard for us to get our arms around and imagine. But things never stop changing. And one of the areas where we're going to have tremendous breakthroughs is in an increased supply of fresh food, produce, that is available to us 365 days a year and produced close to home. And Manish is with us now on the Clark Howard Show. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you, Clark. How may I serve you? I'll be the first-time landlord. So I want to see how I can protect myself uh, and my property from swing by the renter, how I can, like, overall... Uh, save my investment as a, as a landlord. There's nothing more important 
than how you screen the tenants that are prospective tenants for your place. Okay. Because if you get a tenant who is a problem, you then have somebody who, who may damage your place, may be engaging in illegal activity in your place, um, may stop paying rent, and then you have enormous loss of income and then expense to get them out. The most important thing is thoroughly checking out a prospective tenant. And there are a number of ways you can do that today as a landlord. Have you, you don't have a tenant yet, do you? No, uh, I don't have a tenant yet. Um, I'll be moving into my new house in a couple of months, and that's when this property will be open up. Fantastic. So you got time to take care of all this. All right, so when you move into your new home, and the time comes you want to convert your existing property into a rental, that's when you need to talk to your insurance agent or your, the company that provides the homeowner's insurance and make sure you have adequate liability coverage in the event something goes wrong at that property. Okay. High priority. Okay. Um, second is you do an application with the tenant. If you were going to a traditional apartment complex, they have a pretty involved application for a new tenant. And so you want to know what kind of work history someone has. Is it stable or not? You want to know where have they lived and when. Because you don't want to go to the expense of renting to somebody usually if they hopscotch around and move constantly because that's a cost for you if you have a tenant who's who... Uh, is constantly picking up stakes and going somewhere else. So you want somebody who's got a stable work history, they have a stable uh, living situation, and you also can run a background check on them by them giving you permission on your application form. And you can charge them for the background you do. There's a, a website that TransUnion runs called MySmartMove.com, where you can run a background on someone. There's a website called Landlord.com that has a number of sources for you to run background on a would-be tenant. But the two things, that make sure you do these two things. One, you must have the tenant, prospective tenant's permission to run background. And two, it shouldn't cost you money people who are renting a place are used to having to pay an application fee and you charge them what it actually costs you. Great. Uh, can I ask uh, one more question yeah. on the same? Um, do you suggest like I, just, I should go with a property management company to manage my property and do have to register a rental property business? I, I The last thing you said, I, I heard the first part. What was that second thing you said the, about... The, the, do, do I have to register my like rental property business with uh, No, no, rented? no. No, no. You're not a professional landlord. You're renting one property. Right. The answer to the question about whether or not you want a professional management company to handle the rental and screening attendance and collecting the rent and if somebody doesn't pay, kicking them out and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. the answer is based on you. If it's a property that's nearby where you're going to be living in your new home, 
then if you don't mind getting a call from a tenant saying, hey, the toilet stopped up or there's a problem with uh, the, I don't know, the electricity or whatever, whatever it would be, the air conditioning's not working. If, if you don't mind being basically a merchant, then it's fine to do it yourself because you give up a significant chunk of the rent if you hire a professional manager. So in most states, although the guidelines will vary, you're not considered to be a professional landlord as a general rule till you hit your 10th property. So you don't need to register anything like that. And I told you all the negatives with being a landlord. I love being a landlord. I've been one 32 years, and it's been great for me. Follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Our web address, clark.com. When you got a question for me, go clark.com slash ask. Pierre is with us on the Clark Howard Show. How are you today? Sir, thank you for taking my call. I'm glad to um, have you here. How can I serve you? I'm with a bank with a great reputation, and I have a Roth uh, with them, an insurance annuity. Um, yeah. You know, I drive a... I, I drive a truck, and uh, I keep hearing, I've been meaning to call you to find about um, uh, about the annuity, because I'll stop contributing and start, you know, moving my, you know, because in, in driving a truck, you know, and I drive for myself, so my retirement is what I put into it, see. All right, well, I got several things to say to you. First, though, I need to know how old you are. I just turned 59 yesterday. Well, happy birthday. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. <laughs> so normally it would be a horrible choice for you to have any of your Roth money in an annuity, especially in an annuity during the years where you're trying to make money grow to spend that money in retirement. Right. It can be okay to have money in an annuity at the point at which you don't want to work anymore and have an annuity that pays you an income for the rest of your life, known as an immediate annuity or a life annuity. But using annuities to build up money for retirement is a lousy idea, and I don't like it at all. Okay. So the money you already have in in, an annuity in your Roth, it's money that's subject to what's known as surrender charge, if you move it out of that and move into a better type of investment choice for having your money grow. So probably the best thing to do to make the best of what to me is is not the best situation is to leave what you've already contributed in those high-cost annuity contracts and any Uh contributions you do forward, you do into a traditional Roth doing investments. How many more years are you going to work? You know, in the trucking business, no talent. You know, who knows? Could it be Uh, five years, 10 years, 15, two years? Sorry? Probably 15. 15 years. All right. So in Uh, that case, go look at my investment guide and going forward, don't do your Roth with a bank do it with one of the low-cost companies i have listed and i have Uh, choices i like for you to 
put that money in going forward. But you said something else that's very significant. Because you're self-employed, you are totally self-employed and you're a one-person company, right? Right. You are allowed to do something known as a self-employed or solo 401k. And if you wish, you can save a lot more money than just the 6500 because of your age, you're allowed to do 6500 into a Roth. You can save wow. a lot more than that if you're willing and able to save each year. Okay. And the low-cost companies I have on my investment guide provide solo 401ks. They're referred to either as solo 401ks or self-employed 401ks. And I would like for you to be doing one of those, uh, maybe even instead of doing a Roth going forward. Right. I'm writing this down. (laughs) Okay. And with the solo or self-employed 401k, you can do what's known as a Roth 401k, where it works like a Roth IRA, but you're allowed to put in much, much, much more money, if you're able to, than what you're doing in the Roth. Great. So I'm glad you asked, and I'm disappointed that someone would put you in annuity choices inside a Roth. Again, the key rule for you and for anyone else, Pierre, is that in the years you're accumulating money, the years you're trying to make your money grow, to then spend in retirement, annuities have such ginormous expenses that they represent a lousy choice to ever have money in for building money. It's a different story when it comes time for turning it into the equivalent of like a pension where you make sure you don't outlive your money. And then there's an annuity product nobody will ever talk about because there's really no commissions in it, and that is an immediate annuity that pays you the income the rest of your days. So annuities are a no-go while you're trying to grow money. They are a potential possibility for a simple monthly payout for as long as you live. Follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. You know, you got a question for me, you can post it to an Ask Clark on Clark.com. And then we take them right here on the air. And Joel, who's the first Ask Clark you got? Clark Terry says, I've got a great credit score, but what's the best way to go about securing a personal loan? Should I go to a credit union or a commercial bank? What are your thoughts? How about a third option? And the third option is to go to Prosper.com or Lending Club. Lending Club and Prosper offer personal loans usually at a significantly lower price than even the low rates you might get from a credit union. Credit unions do personal loans or signature loans on a sliding scale based on your credit score. So do the people at Prosper and Lending Club based on your score. But usually you'll find that the lowest rate on a signature loan will be at Prosper or at Lending Club. The one place never to go for a signature loan is to a big bank you might find decent terms at a one or two office small local community bank that if you have a good credit score, they're trying to get your overall business and they'd offer you a good deal on a signature loan. 
Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. I'm Mick Garris. When it comes to horror, you might know me as a writer, producer, and director. But I also love making people open up. I'm getting together with the most fascinating people in fright filmmaking. I'm going to pick their brains and find out what they know. But if they've got any secrets they're determined to keep, I have ways of making them talk. Download new episodes of Postmortem with Mick Garris every other Wednesday at PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe on iTunes. What we're learning about the Manchester bomber. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. The father of the alleged Manchester suicide bomber says his son didn't do it. We don't believe in killing innocents, he told the AP. But the father reportedly was a member of an al-Qaeda-backed group in Libya years ago. That, according to a former Libyan security official. Meanwhile, police have carried out raids on a block of apartments in Manchester. Witnesses say they heard explosions. Alan Kinsey was a neighbor of the alleged bomber. The actual family that had been there, I'd, I'd never really come across them in bad ways. It was always, even when I said hello, he never seemed to speak back to you. He was just like, kept himself to themselves, and that was about it. The British putting more military troops on the streets now as police say it's clear this is a network they're investigating. President Trump has arrived in Brussels for NATO meetings after a visit this morning with the Pope at the Vatican. I'm Rita Foley.